Hello, good morning, and welcome. It's uh, not Tuesday. It's actually Wednesday, the 26th of February, 2020. My apologies, I wasn't able to get to yesterday's episode yesterday. <laughs> um, but we are back with episode 138. Before diving in and getting started, just a quick reminder to follow me on all social media at Autonomous Hogue. Please continue to leave your spectacular ratings over on Apple Podcasts, where I'm Thrilled to maintain a solid 5.0 for the last two years. And don't forget, if you're in the autonomous vehicle or mobility space, whether you're an automotive company, OEM, tier one supplier, technology partner, construction company, municipality, anybody at all in the AV space, be sure to check out our new website at hogandco.com and all social media at hogandco. That's H O A G. A-N-D-C-O. And speaking of which, uh, you may have heard in the past, we are conducting what should end up being the largest survey in the world on consumer acceptance of autonomous vehicles. And this is a really broad-reaching survey. Indeed, the survey itself does take a not trivial 10 minutes or so of your time to complete, but we really hope you'll do it for two reasons. First, obviously, this is a profoundly important thing to learn about, not just for us individually, I should say collectively at Hogan Co., but really for the entire industry as a whole. But also, it's a really big deal for you. We've heard that people find it really interesting and frankly even a bit entertaining to do the survey just because of how much it makes you sort of stop and think about things you really never considered before. For instance, did you know how many of you are actually willing to get into a bus that didn't have a driver? Yeah, it blew our minds too. Uh, so anyway, give it a shot. Um, frankly, let me know what you think of the survey when you've taken it. Feel free to shoot me a note, and we're happy to discuss it here on the podcast. Um, speaking of the podcast, I've had a thought lately. With respect to that survey on consumer acceptance, you know, all the guests we have on this show, and by the way, wait till you see the new guests coming up. Uh, it's pretty impressive. Um, you know, all the guests tend to be, of course, experts in the field. Engineers, founders, a few VCs. And I was thinking, in light of doing this consumer acceptance survey on autonomous cars, what if, well, what if we started inviting onto the show, well, consumers? I mean, think about it. It's, it's one thing to get the input and the feedback and indeed to continue to include interviews with, well, experts in the field, right? But isn't there something to be said about discussing the deployment, the idea, the philosophies, the, the, the well, the general consumer acceptance of, of autonomous vehicles? And what better way than to just sort of have, well, non-expert potential consumers of AVs on the podcast? Look, it's just an idea, which quite frankly might be a terrible, no good, awful, miserable idea, or, well, let me know what you think. If it's a great idea, I'm certainly happy to give it a shot and see about having some of you on the podcast just to have a bit of a chat. Right. Anyway, enough about that then. Let's dive and get started today, because we've got Toyota with its $400 million plunge into AVs, Tesla's broken autopilot, and... Cruise joins Aurora and several others in finally getting approval to shuttle passengers around in 
their autonomous pod cars. All this right now. By the way, sorry for the audio quality in this episode. I did something stupid. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so to kick things off today, let's talk about Toyota's $400 million investment into Pony.ai. So first, just a bit of background. So Pony has actually already been testing autonomous taxis in Beijing and Guangzhou since about 2018, and more close to home, for, for me anyway, here in California, in Fremont in Northern California, and in Irvine down in Southern California. Uh, in fact, Pony was credited as being the first company to launch an AV ride-hailing business and actually to offer rides in its self-driving cars to the general public in China. So that's, they're kind of a big deal, actually. Um, so now Toyota, with its $400 million investment, the idea is to kind of make this relationship even tighter. Uh, they're going to be focusing a lot on developing together mobility products and services and that sort of thing. Uh, there's not a lot of detail, but Suffice to say, uh, they will indeed be testing on two Chinese cities, including Shanghai and Beijing. And what's interesting to me, though, is, well, there's two things. First, it's the timing of this. I'll explain why in a moment. And the second is that it's yet another data point showing the ongoing, I guess, I guess you could say either consolidation or collaboration as between large established automotive companies and small technology companies. Um, so what I mean is, if you think back to the announcement several weeks ago that we shared here on the podcast, Hyundai also recently partnered up with Aptiv, and they also are going to be developing an enormous amount of um, testing facilities and public road, actual driving on public roads in South Korea, and uh, formerly, of course, Cruise uh, effectively got brought in under the, under the uh, wing of GM. And so we're seeing this a lot, right? Because the big automotive companies, they have the capability to scale to build the actual vehicles, but they don't necessarily have the experience or even the expertise to develop their own AV tech. Conversely, the AV tech startups, well, they they certainly have the tech, but they don't have the capability to build the actual vehicles themselves. So it really makes perfect sense uh, to, to partner up in this way. Uh, with respect to the timing, so you might remember a little bit ago, we discussed Toyota's... Um, uh, the new sort of testing ground that they've been developing at the base of Mount Fuji. It's called the Woven City. Uh, besides being a pretty cool or awkward name, I suppose, depending on your point of view, um, the idea here is to essentially enable what Toyota calls a living laboratory where, well, to read from their website directly, they describe it as a place where uh, full-time residents and researchers could test and develop technologies such as autonomy, robotics, personal mobility, and smart homes in a real-world environment. If this sounds at all vaguely familiar, 
Um, well, that's because you might remember back around 2009 or 2010, I don't remember now, there was a project launched just outside of Abu Dhabi. I think it was Abu Dhabi. Uh, might have been Bahrain. Uh, it was called Mazdar City. Or more specifically, it was called the Mazdar City Project. Um, it's still alive and sort of well-ish, I suppose. But I feel like it never really reached its full potential, and it sort of fizzled out of the out of the news. But at the time, I was really intrigued. It made a really big deal of the fact that it was designed as sort of what I called a kind of real-life sim city, a fully self-contained experimental city, which was effectively obviously carbon neutral and indeed potentially carbon negative. Um, and it was a place to basically see what could be done with the most bleeding-edge tech possible. That's kind of the idea here that what Toyota is doing with the Woven City. Again, just kind of looking at their website here, um, they're going to be testing autonomy, mobility as a service, robotics, sustainability, assisted living, smart homes, smart construction and manufacturing, and so on and so forth. Ah, yes. And of course, because it's Toyota, hydrogen-powered infrastructure. I'm not going to get into my debate about this again. You know my thoughts on Toyota's obsession with hydrogen. I just don't get it. Um, I think the analogy that I made about this the other day was that that, that moving from petroleum fuels that you pump into a vehicle to hydrogen fuels that you pump into a vehicle is about as ridiculous as having a rotary dial cell phone. It just, it doesn't make any sense. But anyway, not getting into that again. So um, one interesting thing to mention here is that Toyota is actually going to be equipping the Pony.ar cars with um, two bits of software. One is Toyota's chauffeur software, which is basically described as quote-unquote focused on full autonomy, where the human is essentially removed from the driving equation, either completely in all environments, which would be level five, or within a restricted driving domain. This would be, of course, level four. And the second piece of software is called Guardian. This is basically driver assistance stuff, um, which I suppose can be thought of as a bit like Tesla's autopilot, which, yes, we're going to have a bit of a chat about in the next segment. Um, none of this software, by the way, is yet available on commercial vehicles, so it'll be an interesting test ground to see how these play out. So, look, that is actually kind of all I've got on this for now, so I'll be sure to circle back as more information comes my way. All right, so, look, we do need to talk a bit more about Tesla's autopilot. Um, you know, Vox just published this article uh, today titled, Tesla Needs to Fix Its Deadly Autopilot Problem. Like, just the usual full disclaimer, I have been a Tesla long for a very long time. I am a huge fan of Tesla, but that's also why I tend to be more critical of them. That said, I just can't help but wonder whether this critique is always warranted, or alternatively, if it is warranted, what's the point? And look, I, I think we need to kind of, we need to set a few definitions here and establish a few kind of bright line kind of, I guess, rules. We need to understand what we're going to use as our baseline for safe. Um, you know, the subjective example for safety is, I just use the, the mom and dad or, you know, high school kid test. It's like, what car do you want to place your parents in, your, your grandparents, your, your children? You know, my parents turned 80 in these last couple of years, and the only car I recommended that they get to replace their, they had a Prius actually before this, uh, two in a row in fact, and they had just gotten into a brand new, brilliant little Audi A3 e-tron, which they liked very much, 
And then they ended up with the Tesla Model S for a while before finally getting rid of it because it was too big. And of course, then the Model 3 was available, and so that's what they ended up getting. And the reason I encouraged them so much to get that was not because I seriously believed that they were going to use autopilot all the time, because indeed they frankly don't, for better or worse, but because I knew two things were true. Well, three things, actually. One, and this goes to electric cars generally, of course, but the fact that my 80-year-old parents wouldn't have to go to a gas station and pump gas in the car anymore would be a pretty nice thing to remove from their lives. But two, and more relevantly, um, the fact that from a software point of view, even without using autopilot, Tesla has arguably the best passive defense systems on the market. And from a structural safety point of view, Teslas are objectively, unquestionably, the safest vehicles you can drive full stop. So really the issue comes down to, and I get this, it comes down to the public perception of autopilot as presented by Tesla. This notion that First of all, it's disingenuous for Tesla to market autopilot as such, and that the name is potentially misleading. Alternatively, that it's not misleading, or even if it is, the fact is that people place too much faith in it and they don't really realize what it can and cannot do, and it is therefore per se dangerous, never mind what the data shows. I will maintain the position that I've had forever I agree that there is that it is possible for people to place too much faith in autopilot. Um, it's possible also for people to put too much faith in things like ABS or traction control or seatbelts or airbags or any of the other number of safety features that we have on vehicles today. You cannot protect against stupidity. You cannot protect against idiocy and ignorance. And I made the rather, shall we say, questionable point, look, Teslas are not inexpensive vehicles. Not yet anyway, not, not really. Most people who buy Teslas are easily, I, I would suggest, are probably at least college-educated folks. And indeed, the, the crash of the Model X on the freeway here in Silicon Valley, it was just recently announced that indeed the driver had been playing a video game on his phone when the Tesla crashed. Now, did the autopilot fail? Yeah, it should have not done that. But guess what? The driver failed too. I mean, this was not an ignorant person. Look, you have to realize something else. People who buy Teslas today generally tend to be of the sort that are a bit different to ordinary car purchasers. Most people who buy Teslas tend to be, um, well, they tend to be very interested in Tesla. That means that they know a thing or two about them, they know what they can do, and they presumably know a bit more about what they can't do, or at least more than the average bear. This is not your typical automotive buyer. Most people who buy a Tesla probably know what they're getting into, literally and figuratively. To give a counterpoint, and I think I mentioned this in a previous episode just the other day, I've actually spoken with someone who had the exact same Mercedes GLC that we had, and they apparently were completely startled when they pulled the control stock to engage um, the adaptive cruise control on the freeway, and the car was correcting itself in its lane, and they didn't even have to apply any steering. They were completely shocked. They didn't know uh, that it could do this. And 
So to me, that just demonstrated a complete lack of understanding. But that didn't really surprise me because I think most buyers of vehicles today tend not to necessarily know or not to necessarily care. But in the case of Tesla, it's a bit different. These people do care. It's still early days for the adoption of, well, electric car generally and Teslas also. And never mind the fact that, especially in California, where Tesla's outselling all of the German automakers combined with just their single Model 3, that doesn't matter. These are still early adopters. These are still people who know about, care about, are interested in Tesla and anything and everything that it does. So I think if you account for this fact, this understanding that most Tesla buyers do have a greater comprehension of their vehicles, I think it'll be determined that you cannot rule out the crashes and the failings of, of Tesla vehicles due to faults in autopilot caused by Tesla, but rather due to frankly, just gross negligence by the operators themselves, by the drivers. I mean, again, if somebody is playing a video game on their phone when they're using a Tesla, I mean, they, this is just per se negligence. It is negligence on its face. I mean, there's no way to, you can't even look at this any other way. I mean, any vehicle, anything that you do that is supposed to be safe that otherwise fails because you were negligent, that's not the thing's fault. That's your fault. So, I just think this is kind of a ridiculous argument, especially when you zoom out and you look at the big picture of where things are headed. It is indisputably the case that it's necessary to fast-track this technology, and the sooner we can get these things properly buttoned down and safe for consumer use, the better we're all going to be. As much of a car guy as I, that I am, and as much as I love a good sports car and a proper you know, manual transmission, no electronic stabilities, no electronic nannies, for day-to-day -day driving, give me the safety offered by Tesla because I do know that it is the safest vehicle on the road for me, for my wife, for my family, for my parents, for, for, for her family. And that's just a fact. And I'm sorry to say, but I think that, that, that news and critiques and complaints and, you know, ridiculous over-the-top clickbaity sort of articles that try to shame, fault, or otherwise disparage Tesla are kind of just doing this because it works. It's, it's easy to get media attention. It's easy to get, a, you know, to get eyeballs on this kind of stuff. But to what end? What is the point? No company more so than Tesla, no CEO more so than Elon has been trying to do so much for the world in so many different ways. So, so what if things go wrong along the way? I mean, heck, NASA blew up a few rockets along the way too. And yes, some of those were deeply, deeply tragic. And we're going to have certain tragedies along the way to a fully autonomous vehicle future too, just as we did with aviation. Every single other pursuit in life. Incidentally, this is precisely why I'm always talking so much about the need for federal regulation sooner rather than later, at least the framework. And if you remember, that's why I've talked about the need for an FAVA, a Federal Autonomous Vehicle Administration, which takes over at the point at which automaker has level four and level five cars. Allow level one, two, and three to be in the hands of the states and local municipalities insofar as testing, deployment, and so forth. But when it gets to level four and level five, the moment that Tesla have an autopilot system which is up to level four, it's got to reach, it's got to meet federal approval. The problem is we don't have any federal approval guidelines or standards yet in the first place, and that's what I'm concerned about. 
But unless and until we get to that point, allow the testing to go on, unless actual gross negligence can be shown on the part of the manufacturer, and if it can be shown that the driver, the operator themselves weren't also negligent, look, the net benefit to society generally must outweigh any potential harm caused in the interim, and, well, there you have it. If anybody really wants to challenge me on this, by all means, go for it. Um, I, I just, yeah. It, it's imperative that this stuff not be hindered, that this technology move forward. Yeah, that's the end of it. All right, well, to close things out today, in a funny bit of symmetry, we just announced last episode that Aurora had just been granted permission by the CPUC, that's the California Public Utilities Commission. They have just been granted a permit to test their autonomous cars with actual passengers in the vehicle, subject to a few requirements. First of all, there had to be a backup driver. They had to report um, any sort of, well, presumably they have to report any sort of disengagements of the system and any incidents, of course. And also, by the way, the permit expires in January 23. Well, now, Cruise finally just received its permit as well. And so in doing so, it's joining the likes of, yeah, Aurora, AutoX, Pony.ai, Waymo, and Zooks. Um, and so this is a big deal, because remember, there are something like 66 or so permits that are currently granted to a bunch of other companies to test their AVs on California roads, but crucially, they cannot have any passengers. So this is actually a pretty big deal. Now, if you remember... The original plan was for Cruz to go ahead and launch its robo-taxi service last year. Um, obviously, they had technical challenges that they couldn't overcome, and so here we are now. Now, think back to the episode we did a few weeks ago on Cruz's new Origin, right? The fully autonomous pod car uh, about which I made the video, which, by the way, don't forget, I do have a new YouTube channel over at Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue. Yeah, that is actually the full URL. It's youtube.com slash Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue. Um, check out that video if you haven't seen it yet. The Cruise Origin is a great thing, and I. but what's interesting is I have no idea yet whether, whether this permit is going to allow that thing to be tested. I would assume definitely not, because, well, since the CPUC permit requires a backup driver, and I'm answering my own question here, no, it will not allow the Origin for, to, to be tested, because the Origin can't have a backup driver. It doesn't have any steering wheel. So, 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 yeah, scratch that, what I just said. Um, which then still leaves open this big question, well, what's going to happen to the origin? Well, you know what I'm going to say, because I say it all the time. Origin needs to work with the city of San Francisco to start testing these things on bus lanes. And now that Market Street is completely devoid of private vehicles, except for things like commercial trucks, taxis, and so on and so forth, even U Ubers and Lyfts can't drive on Market Street. Uh, yeah, just buses also. Um, so now they've got all of Market Street they can test on. So why Cruise doesn't work with SF to do... If anybody at Cruise is listening, if anybody in the SF City Council is listening, guys, we can help arrange this for you. So please reach out. You, you, we've got This is not rocket science. Let's get Cruise Origin testing on Market Street and call it a day. It'll be great. All right, that's all I got for now. That is a wrap for today. Thank you so much for listening. See you back here uh, on Friday. Have a wonderful rest of the week. Bye-bye.